Hey, this is Sophia. And this is Natasha. And welcome to another episode of Winter's Blooms Talks, which is an extension of our website, Winter's Bloom. If you don't have the privilege of biraciality, can you truly understand what it means to balance on the edge of a knife, to be mixed, equal parts of two halves, yet never feeling fully whole? So even when you have each foot planted firmly in the oceans of your heritage, you can feel their currents raging, roiling, refusing to settle. If you don't have the privilege of biraciality, you don't know what it means to feel an imposter in your own skin. So welcome everyone um, to another episode of Winter's Blooms Talks. Uh, this one is on privilege. Um, and we're actually going to do things a little bit differently, we think, um, to how the general discourse of this conversation goes. And we are going to be focusing today on the privileges that we feel we do hold. Um, so, Sophia, I was wondering, could you walk us through maybe some of the privileges that you feel that you hold as an individual in this world? Um, I'm really glad that we're doing it. Can I just comment firstly to say I'm glad we're doing it this way, because as you um, just mentioned, I feel that the discourse often tends to be about the privileges that we don't hold. Um, and I definitely went through a period of my life kind of viewing my privilege or lack of privilege um, in that way. So it's been interesting to kind of reflect um, on the privileges that I do hold. And a lot of them I realize, which I guess privilege in general is always in relation to others, but I, I realize a lot of the privileges that I do hold are um, in relation to others and, and in relation to space. So one of the main ones um, that comes to mind is the fact that I am a lighter black woman um, and both historically and also currently um, living in the UK lighter skinned black women tend to be preferred over darker skinned black women um, just well not just because but I feel like one of the main reasons is that we're closer to to being white and closer to whiteness and so in a way we're seen as more palatable um, and that's something that I feel that I've only kind of realized in the last couple of years or have come to acknowledge how that is a privilege. Another privilege which I feel that I hold is kind of well I don't know if I would it, it definitely is a privilege. I am reluctant to call it a privilege um, or I, I guess I just don't like acknowledging the fact it is a privilege but it is the fact that currently I don't wear a hijab um, and so I can quite easily go under the radar um, as not being Muslim which is something which I just to make clear would never negate or feel ashamed of but with the the reality of Islamophobia that is experienced in the UK and Europe and the US at large. Um, it just means that on a daily basis, I, I'm i not facing certain microaggressions, um, at least for that aspect of my identity. And I feel like I'm, I'm in a position to say this because I was for a period of time wearing the hijab, 
And I definitely noticed the way that I was treated by people changed a bit. And it's like one of those things where you feel that you could be like verging on just being paranoid. But um, the more that I've spoken to about my um, Muslim friends slash sisters um, who have or continue to wear the hijab, um, it is clear that these microaggressions are not like made in my head. Um, so those are the two main privileges that I would say I hold. And I think we are going to get on to the whole um, space element of how privilege changes. So I'll just pass back the question to you, Natasha. Um, what are some privileges that you feel that you hold? Yeah, thanks, Sophia, for um, walking us through some of those. And I'm really uh, antsy to get more into the discussion. But yeah, I do just want to share really quickly as I was uh, reflecting on some of the privileges that I might hold. Um, and I think I wrote them down. So I hold the privilege of a non-threatening body. And this one really came up for me as I was reflecting because um, I was watching this video that came up on my Facebook feed. And I don't remember his name, so I'm going to try to dig back and find it. But um, he's a Black man and he is a, um, a botanist. Um, and his video, he's sitting in this field of flowers. And one of the first things that he says is that he has a body that's threatening to many people. And he went on to talk about how in the line of his work where he's been there doing things like cataloging the plants of the area, you know, doing part of his job. And he's been arrested. He's been chased off all because he is a black man in the United States. Um, and so that really came up for me as a privilege that I do hold because I'm a woman. And though I'm a brown woman, I've never really been followed by the police, never been stopped unnecessarily in my car. Um, I just haven't had that experience. And that really, it's like really hit me very recently that like, though, you know, my experience in the world is different than some people, my body isn't threatening. And um, so I've never really had to fear um being stopped or like aggressively approached um i also hold the privilege of material wealth and i think you know it's always relative there will always always be people who have less or who have more than me but this really came up for me in the fact that i feel i've had to have so or i've i've been able to have so many experiences like you know we've talked a lot about about this podcast about the travel experiences that you have you and i have shared um, I also have a master's degree and, you know, education is not necessarily cheap. Um, and yeah, so I just, I do want to want to acknowledge that here because I feel that there are so many life experiences that I've been able to have. Um, and I haven't necessarily had to think too hard about um, spending the time and the money on those experiences. Um, and I don't regret them either because they're how I met you um, and how this winter's bloom has been a thing. Um, I hold the privilege of English as my mother tongue. And this one, kind of like how you didn't necessarily want to call it a privilege. I, I feel kind of mixed about this because part of me is like, it shouldn't be this way. Cause I feel that everyone's mother tongue should be equally respected. Um, and I'm very much a believer that if I travel into someone's country, I want to at least try to learn a few phrases or to speak the language. Um, but the reality of the matter is that English is really almost like a universal language. It's the language of business and stuff like that. And so that is a privilege that I hold. Like 
I don't, I didn't have to relearn English, um, or excuse me, learn English. Um, I hold the privilege of a strong, loving, supportive family, which is one that I take for granted all the time. Um, but when I was reflecting, this also came up for me because I know not everyone uh, can say the same. And uh, the final one that I came up with, and I'm sure there are others, is that for the time being, at least, I hold the privilege of an able body. Um, so those are the privileges that came up during my reflection period. And just prompting us a little bit into discussion. Yeah, Sophia, you mentioned it a little bit, but I am really interested in what you said about your privileges, about how um, space and environment affect the privileges that you hold. We've mentioned this in a previous podcast. I, I've lost count of, um, or lost count of the names, um, or on which podcast we've mentioned different things. But um, it was it was a podcast where we spoke about space. I think it might have been um, a moon journaling reflection session. Um, but I strongly believe that we are always in relation to space and people, and that really impacts on our experiences and our identity. And the, the most um, obvious example, I guess, or the first one that comes to my mind when I think about how my privilege shifts is when I'm in the Gambia or Senegal. Those are the only two um, countries in sub-Saharan Africa I've been to. Um, but when I've been there, I am perceived as whiter than I am. And that that space and that that environment definitely bestows on me the the privilege of white privilege I am treated as a white person um which means that if I was waiting in a queue um I may be offered (laughs) to skip the queue um in terms of uh just being like the way that I'm looked at and the way I'm perceived um I'm perceived automatically as more beautiful because my skin is lighter and I feel that I'm given like special treatment in a way. Um, So that's one place where my privilege, I feel that my privilege has um, shifted in my favor. Um, How about you, Natasha? Do you have any examples or um, any experiences? Yeah, um, it's, I think that whole concept of like how privilege might be a bit more, fluid or depend on the environments that you're in. I think that that's really important because so I feel that the whole conversation surrounding privilege, sometimes, you know, it emphasizes the fact that privilege is like a, like you have the same privilege throughout your lifetime. And I think it is so important that with so many things, it is a little bit more dependent and it can change. Um, and yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. I So when what you were speaking about specifically, I was listening to this podcast called the Filipina American Women's Project, I believe. Um, and one of their co-hosts is a mixed race Filipina and I believe Russian woman. Um, and she was talking about how a lot of like she feels very culturally Filipino because she grows up with a lot of her Filipino family but they always just immediately call her white girl. Like every time she walks into the room, they're like, oh, white girl's back. Um, 
And she she seems to take it in stride. Like she says, you know, I, I guess there was a period of time when that hurt her feeling, but she's feelings. Um, but she's kind of like, you know, I don't know, just takes it in stride because they're her family. But there was this one episode as well where they were interviewing a mestiza woman, which in the Philippines, mestiza means like mixed race. Um, and she was actually born and raised in the Philippines. And she expressed a similar experience where all of her um non-mixed Filipino family just treated her as white and she basically grew up even though she's half Filipino grew up as a white person in the Philippines and then when they moved here I believe they moved here when she was uh early teens um she was you know she was different she wasn't white and people saw that she wasn't white and so it was just, I mean, it's one of those classic things that I think we talk about a lot as mixed heritage people is not necessarily belonging. Maybe maybe let's move on to uh, the next question, which um, I wanted to ask you, how do you think that, and we've already kind of got, gotten into this a little bit, but how do you think that being mixed heritage impacts any of the privileges that you hold, um, if at all? I think... Um... Okay, this is probably well. I feel like that there will be people who will be able to relate to us to this, but I do think it is also in a way quite specific to my Italian heritage. Um, I would say that it's no uh, what's the word slight or no surprise as well to say um, that Italian society has historically and so is um, quite and xenophobic and at times racist society and I know um that's like I mean I don't think it's unfair to say that um and again I'm by saying like Italian society I'm not saying that every single Italian person is like that but I think as a whole Italian society has a lot a lot that it needs to work on um to redefine what it means to be Italian and who gets to partake in that and so I think in that context, the fact that I am half Italian um, has in a way allowed me to be accepted into Italian society in a way that I know other black bodies are not, other Muslim bodies are not, other um, immigrant or foreign bodies are not. And um, that is a dynamic which I, I've noticed doesn't really exist in the same way with my Gambian side, in the sense that already being white, even if I wasn't Gambian, or perhaps even more so because I am more on the white side, um, I'm accepted regardless. But that's an interesting dynamic that I think um, being mixed has has allowed in that very specific uh, setting. How about for you? Being half American and half Filipino definitely offers me certain privileges. And I'm thinking specifically now when we've gone traveling um, and I'm going to I'm going to focus on the um, privileged experiences because I know you and I could have a whole other discussion about um, the, you know, non-privileged discussion about traveling together. Um, But, you know, just having an American passport offers me so much ease of travel I feel and um, I think it it allows me to more fluidly move across borders though of course there are again experiences that are not so great but focusing on the privileged experiences 
Um, I think that's definitely something that I take for granted. And because I feel I very much present as a mix of, um, you know, American and Filipino, um, it can be easier in certain scenarios to play up my Filipino side and in certain scenarios to play up my American side, which I think kind of goes back to the previous question about space and environment affecting the privileges that you hold. Um, and, you know, my sister and I were also talking about this uh, the other day because where we live right now is a fairly rural, um, not super diverse community. And talking about the spaces where we feel more comfortable. Um, and I think, you know, because we're both mixed, there are spaces where we feel less comfortable. Like, for example, there's this, it's almost like a corner store in this little uh, town near us. And um, her husband, who is um, a white man from Louisiana, he goes in there no problem. But she and I both feel a little bit of hesitation going in there. Um, but then in other spaces, you know, like when we're at the market or whatever, we feel like it's, it's a much easier space to occupy. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because I feel that, yeah, being mixed race kind of gives you that option, which almost in and of itself is a privilege, like the option to play up one side over the other and it's and I, I've never really liked that idea and I don't know if you have um, any thoughts on this Sophia but I've never really liked the idea of having to choose like so often I've heard people say oh at some point you have to choose um, and even uh, in Trevor Noah's book Born a Crime he talks a lot about that like that's a theme about having to choose what side you're on um, and I still don't know that I necessarily have an answer to that dilemma, but I do know that that in and of itself can be a privilege, at least that I've noticed in that in certain situations, I can choose to play up one side over the other and use that to my advantage. Um, and yeah, I'm just wondering if you've felt similarly or not. Mm, that's really interesting. And I, I definitely have <laughs> growing up played, um, took advantage of that to play up like my Italian side I think I mentioned this again in a previous podcast um where just probably until the age of like 16 I was really I was praised a lot for you know being half Italian and that was kind of as a result of that praise was kind of the side that I um mentioned and focused on and really displayed um I I feel like because we again we spoke we've touched upon this on previous in previous um podcasts but I feel like because we are creatures who do kind of find comfort in categorizing and having clear clear cut definitions of um who a person is and though that tends to be quite one dimensional so I do understand that the pressure and also the desire from um external external situations or from someone who perhaps isn't mixed race and doesn't understand um the the way in which we inhabit um dual heritages or dual ways of being um it can be kind of threatening to a very simplistic view of the world and a simplistic view which i think is just based on you know the idea that things are right or wrong or black and white and 
in binary, like things exist in binaries. I personally have never felt that I've had to choose. I think I've mentioned this again before in many other podcasts that I just think the way that society is set up, I almost feel automatically kind of like tilted if it was a scale of like Gambian and Italian or whatever being black and white. I automatically feel like I'm tilted more to my black side because that is what society recognizes me as being. Um, And because my blackness cannot be diluted in a way that my whiteness can, that I'm automatically, like I have, I don't have to, but it would be really difficult to live my life thinking that I was white, you know? (laughs) I mean, not in all spaces, but in most spaces. Um, But I have always tried to make it a point that I don't choose between the two, um, between the many other different identities as well that exist within me. And um, whether that's like acknowledged by another person interacting with me or whatever, kind of looking at me from an outsider's perspective, I have gotten more comfortable over the years to understand that that doesn't matter as long as I, I embrace the parts of me that I want to embrace and I'm proud of that. It doesn't matter if, well, obviously like on a practical level, it does matter in some circumstances, but in terms of the relationship I have with myself, I've learned over the years to kind of not have to listen to what others um, dictate should be included in my identity or how I relate to myself. I love that you bring up, um, you know, like your experience and like your commitment to not choosing. Because I think that is something that, you know, I personally have struggled with and something I've heard reflected back in a lot of podcasts or other mixed heritage individuals that I've uh, talked or spoken with. Um, I also, and this is totally just a thought that came off and I'm wondering what you think about this, but as you were speaking and describing that, like, I wonder if, because we both have grown up in, um, you know, Western societies like you in the UK and myself in the U S that that's almost also a privilege that, I mean, I think in many ways it is a privilege that we hold, um, in many ways it's not, but what I mean in this context is that, um, you know, from you speaking about your experiences going back to the Gambia and how you're kind of elevated as a white person, um, and there are very similar ways that in the Filipino community in the U.S. and also the Filipino community back in the Philippines will do the same um, for any mestiza person. Um, and the fact that we grew up kind of out of those contexts, though I know that you do go back to the Gambia fairly often, gives us that liberty to not choose. Um, because I feel that, you know, and, and I think, like you're saying, um, a lot of that comes from maybe not, maybe inner strength is the wrong word, because it, it doesn't really have to do with strength. But like, I guess maybe an inner belief in who you identify as and who you feel that you are, um, not necessarily what is reflected back at you. And I think that that's always a lifelong journey and um, an important journey to take. Um, but yeah, I just, as you were speaking that, and as I was reflecting back on the experiences that I've had and just like, yeah, how sometimes as a mixed person, you are it like in the Filipino context, like you're seen more as white, Um, but because like I myself grew out of that context, I'm able to define myself a bit more according to how I feel versus like how that 
community reflects back on me. Um, but yeah, I don't know if, if you wanted to add anything to that. Um, but yeah, I just thought I'd put that out there. Yeah, that's a really good point that you bring up. And definitely, as you, I also just want to say, because I feel like when you mentioned all your privileges, um, I was thinking it, thinking of it on a more um, like identity based level. But I just want to also reiterate that I feel that I share a lot of the privileges that Natasha mentioned in terms of education, um, financial security, and many other privileges, which I think, um, I yeah, I definitely take for granted. I'm not even aware of. But um, to go back to what you were saying, I think definitely growing up in, in a place like London, I have had the privilege probably for like 18 years of my life to not even think about race. I feel like um, the first time I really had to think hard about being black was probably when I moved to Scotland and moved um, to St. Andrews, where I don't even know what the black, the statistics, the statistic is anymore. But at the time it was something like 0.1, of the student population was black. Um, and so even that whole that whole um, experience really of growing up and basically kind of living life um, with a raceless lens was in a way a privilege, which now that I'm obviously more aware of like racial inequality and racial um, tensions, I don't regret for a fact that those um, rosy tinted glasses have been removed from my eyes. But that in itself is something I think, especially with everything that's happening now um, with the Black Lives Matter movement. And I have a sister who's 10 years old. She, her experience of growing up, like she's already aware of race at a much younger age than I was growing up. Um, so I think definitely growing up in like a cosmopolitan city and being surrounded by people and having friends who were from um, all different backgrounds really allowed me to be oblivious to race for quite a couple of years growing up. I'm so grateful that you mentioned that because um, I I felt kind of similarly. I think that growing up in our mixed household, just it was never an issue um, that we were mixed. Like we just never, we never addressed it directly. And I remember when we were really young, or maybe not really young, but I remember my dad, you know, kind of telling us about his early years before he met my mom. And he mentioned a few, like, there was this one mixed race woman who he had dated before my mom. Um, and she is a half black, half Swiss. And he told us the story about how she had all these internal struggles being a mixed woman. And, you know, kind of that, like, she was having trouble with that whole pressure of having to choose, like, was she black? Was she white? She didn't really fit in anywhere. And I remember when he first told us that story, it just like that I didn't identify with that internal conversation of hers at all, because it was just so normal that we were mixed, like we were just in our family, and there was no question about it. Um, but yeah, once I was in high school and I had to start ticking boxes about my future in terms of college applications, job applications, stuff like that, um, then that all started to come out. Um, and like, you know, 
things for, that had come that had happened in my past started to make so much more sense. So yeah, I totally identify with your moment of like switching and being so much more aware of that when you moved to Scotland. Um, and even though like this was much later, like I I just I kind of had a similar moment when I moved to Edinburgh as well for my master's program because where I live in the U.S. in the Bay Area, um, it's a very diverse. No matter who you are, you're just kind of like another drop in the bucket. Like there's just so many people of different backgrounds. Um, and then moving to Edinburgh, which you know it's a lovely city. I really great it, and it's really great, and I really loved it. And there's nothing wrong with this, but it is a very white city and white country. Um, I think, yeah, a lot of a lot of things started to come up for me a little bit. Um, but yeah, so it's interesting. I feel like growing up in Western countries is definitely a privilege in and of itself. And also growing up in the environments that we did, um, you know, like the where you live in London is a very diverse area as well. Lots of different backgrounds, lots of um, people from different races and in the Bay Area too. Um, so yeah, it's kind of weird how that shows up and how that how that discussion kind of relates to how we identified then and now. Um, but yeah, I guess I also wanted to look in a little bit more. I wanted to hear a little bit more about your perspective. I know we have kind of gotten into this a little bit, but um, so how would you characterize the privilege in your life? Like, I know we talked how it's, you know, it depends on the space and the environment, but I guess, yeah, I'm really curious to like dig a little bit deeper into more, if you think it's more of like a static or a fluid thing and why you might think that. I really like what you were saying before about how um, when we tend to talk about privilege, we kind of see it as this fixed um, thing or this fixed, this fixed notion that doesn't change throughout our lives. But I definitely do think it is fluid and it's always, um, as I mentioned before, in negotiation with your space and with the people that you're surrounded by. Um, so I I would say it definitely is a, a fluid thing. I think also because it's so intangible and it's very even subjective to like what may what you may see as a privilege might for someone else not be a privilege that it it kind of has no option to me but to be fluid um I think even the idea of like what constitutes a privilege is in many ways quite subjective um and there is no like universal benchmark to be like okay once you have this this and this you're more privileged than this this and this person or you're you know there's like no universal scale um so I I do think it's something that's always um being renegotiated how about for you well so I just wanted to jump in really quick because I loved what you said about how it's not like a universal scale and so um I I wanted to recommend a book and just a quick disclaimer I haven't actually read this book but um based on my research into it it sounds like a really interesting book um and it's called The Perils of Privilege by Phoebe Matz Bovey um and I I just wanted to quickly read the um the jacket description because I think it does get at that the whole like conversation about privilege and how it depends on who you're even talking to and stuff like that. So I'm just going to um, quickly read that. So today, privilege applies to anyone who enjoys an unearned advantage in life, inherited or not. White privilege, male privilege, straight privilege. Those conditions make everyday life easier, less stressful, more lucrative, and generally better for those who hold one, two, or all three designations. 
But what about white female privilege in the context of feminism? Or fixed gender privilege in the context of transgender? Or weight and height privilege in the context of hiring practices and salary levels? levels? Or food privilege in the context of widening inequality for single parent families? In The Perils of Privilege, Phoebe Maltz-Bovey examines the rise of this word into extraordinary potency. Does calling out privilege help to change or soften it, or simply reinforce it by dividing people against themselves? And is privilege a concept that, in fact, only privileged people are debating? The Perils of Privilege explore how this word is deployed and offers ways to begin anew so many of the conversations it has silenced. Um, Excuse me. So, so yeah, I think, you know, as I kind of mentioned before, I do think that privilege is much more of a fluid thing and definitely depends on who you relate to. And um, I'm really curious about uh, this author's perspective um, on the whole discourse surrounding privilege. Um, but I did also want to ask you, too, um, how are we able, I guess, in the general, but also you specifically, Sophia, um, able to use the privileges that you do hold to serve others? I think there is no one universal like rule of thumb. And I think it's one of those conversations that each of us has to have kind of individually, um, at least to start with, to one, identify what our privileges are and then how we can use them. But if there was like a kind of um, an overview or an overpoint that I would give or like a piece of advice, if I could call it that, would be um, to consider how you can use your privilege to um, amplify either the voices or the the disadvantages, not disadvantages, but basically how you can use your privilege to help those that don't have the privilege that you have. And I think one way um, in which we have been trying to manifest that together is through Winter's Bloom and kind of building a platform which which we which is not just for us. I, I think our intentions have always been quite clear on that, that it's not just about, I don't know, gaining followers or popularity or anything, but it is actually to try and amplify voices that are not often heard. Um, so that's one way that I see it. But I also, I, I try to see it in all different aspects of my life. Um, and I feel that because it is for me a, a, a personal philosophy that life is or should be an act of service and that's how I want to live my life. Um, I've been thinking about this as I've been transitioning from or I'm in the process of transitioning from studying to um, working and I've been really consciously trying to think of how can I use my privilege of education and the skills that I've gained over these last six years to really serve people who are in a disadvantaged position than me. And that's basically manifested in me wanting to um, work for an employee that is that has ethical values that kind of match my own um, personal values and to work for or in a sector that isn't um, consumer driven and isn't driven by, you know, making profits at the expense of um, other people's um, unhappiness or kind of duping people into things. Um, so I've been conscious about who I want to work for and how I want my skills to be used and what kind of change I want to bring. And so, yeah, a lot of my job search has been focused on working for organizations that are dedicated to 
social change and um, social justice. But Natasha, how do you feel that you're able to use your privileges um, to serve others? Okay. Yeah. So I loved what you were saying about like, you know, choosing to work for people who have an ethical value or moral value that aligns with yours. Um, And I think that is a really important way to kind of like use the privileges that we hold to support people who are going to also be doing good things, whether that's an organization or, um, you know, like what's, what I, what also in a kind of slightly different way from you, um, you know, with all this stuff about Black Lives Matters coming out and thinking about how to show up as an ally for the Black community, um, I think the first privilege that I spoke of, that I have an, a non-threatening body to many, is something that I'm using um, in my interpersonal relationships and um, in a lot more of my day-to-day. Um, so because I have a non-threatening body, I am trying to speak out a little bit more and challenge people, even in just small things. Um, like, for example, one of my acquaintances recently referred to a grown woman as a girl. And where in the past I may have kind of let that slide, it really did irk me a little bit. And so I brought that up. I was like, hey, if you're talking about a woman, please call her a woman and not a girl. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's just one example of ways that I'm trying to use the privilege of my non-threatening body to um, challenge people a little bit um, in their behavior and um, and in stuff like that. Um, I think also I still on like a wider scale um, in terms of what I want to be doing full time. I mean, definitely I would love for Winter's Bloom to become you know, a big thing, not for the sake of it to be a big thing, but because I think this kind of platform, like, like Sophia, like what you were saying, um, we really want to elevate many people's voices and we want this to be a place for that to happen. Um, but you know, in terms of like something else to support myself with, I'm really trying to think about what you know given the privileges that I do hold like the education I've had the experiences that I've experiences that I've had what is a way that I can kind of like give that back in my sphere of influence and I'm still not 100% sure on that answer um and I think coronavirus has definitely put a stop on a lot of those plans because we have no idea how the future will shape out and when things will be opening back up again really um but one way that I, I've always kind of wanted to do that is um, I love, I used to work at this nature-based preschool and I really believe in their, um, their philosophy that, you know, just play outside for kids is the best thing and they're going to learn more from each other than they will from any preschool teacher. And if we as the facilitators or quote unquote teachers can provide more of like safety and the scaffolding and the space for these kids to really go about and explore the world, then that's the greatest gift that we can give them. Um, and so I want that for sure to be part of my future. And But the specifics of that, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, that's how I would answer that question at the time being. And of course, because our whole discussion on, on privilege is that it's very fluid, I'm sure that that will change and take different shapes um, as we move forward in life. Um, 
But, you know, I guess this is the last question that I have for you, Sophia. And I was just wondering, um, why do you think it is important, if at all, to speak more openly about the privileges that we hold? So like, why is this conversation, do you think it's important to have? I think it's an important conversation to have because um, so often I feel like we we move through the world with a with a kind of mentality of um, scarcity and also of deprivation. And I think if we're always embodying that kind of mentality, then it becomes a lived reality and we don't see the privileges that we hold um, and the ways that we're able to help others. I think as well, not to, and just saying that as well, it's not to undermine, of course, anyone's experiences of discrimination or of being in a unprivileged position because I understand that those are also very real experiences for people and that those do have very serious um, implication on people's quality of life and the way that they're they're, they're able to be in the world Um, but I think there is there is something empowering in acknowledging your privilege and I don't know I just see it like as a kind of ripple effect that if each person was to acknowledge the privilege that they hold how much more humbler would we humbler I don't think that's the word how how much more humble would we be um in in terms of our interaction of others in terms of our treatments of others and how I just see it as work I don't know I just see it as working as quite a empowering thing that everyone acknowledges their privilege reflects on how they can use that privilege to help others and even in doing that that could inspire someone else to reflect on the privilege that they hold regardless if that's um you know more or less than the next person and I think it's just it's an acknowledgement I guess of our privilege and in a way also our gifts and what we can offer others um and how in finding your own gifts I I do believe that you inspire others to do that as well and to share that with the world um so yeah I think it's a very important conversation to have um and one that I hope that by having would also encourage more more equality in a way if everyone just is accountable for the things that they are blessed to have yeah I agree with everything that you're saying and I think um in terms of us specifically having this conversation, I, you know, like, like we've said before, I feel that so much of the discourse around privilege has been calling out other people's privilege, which I know that I'm guilty of as well. I do that often. Um, and, but, but what I really want to do and what I think and I strive to do, which is important is to really get to know the person who's sitting across from you and not, the, the preconceived judgments that you throw onto them. And, and by the you, I'm, I'm really referring to myself um, because I inherited from my mom to be very judgmental. And it's something that I work with a lot to try to let go of that and let the person speak and act for themselves. Um, but I also think that just by um, Sophia, you and I having this conversation, I hope that in some ways it contributes to normalizing a different way of approaching privilege um, and that it normalizes these conversations because something that I've heard reflected back often and even, um, you know, I've just finished reading this white fragility book is that I think people feel so defensive when you start bringing up the term privilege and calling people out on their privilege. And, you know, while that is a fair um, 
feeling to have because I've definitely had those feelings as well. I think if we start to normalize actively talking about the privileges that we do hold, then maybe that defensive instinct will lessen over time. Um, but yeah, no, other than that, I mean, I a hundred percent agree with everything that you mentioned about like speaking more openly about these things. Um, you know, I think, I think it's just really all about trying to get everyone's perspective out there and acknowledging that, you know, a privilege is definitely a privilege compared to others. Um, but you know, yeah. What is that relationship that you hold with the person that you're, you're talking to privilege about? Um, which is why I'm so interested to get into this, um, the perils of privilege book. And if any of you listeners have uh, read it or are familiar with her work, please reach out because, um, I'd love to hear your opinions on it. Um, but before, Sophia, you close with your poem, I was wondering if there were any last things that you wanted to comment on, any last questions uh, just before we move out from this discussion? Uh, no, I don't have anything. Do you have anything um, you want to end on? No, um, I think, yeah, I'm pretty much <laughs> spoken out about these privileges, um, but looking forward to hearing your poem. Okay. Um, this poem is from our collection, The Snake and the Cuttlefish, um, which will be linked below in the show notes if you do, um, if you are interested in uh, reading the full collection. For the month of June and July, any of the profits that we make from any of our book sales, so either The Snake and the Cuttlefish or The Tender Places of Worn Out Fibres, will be donated to Unicorn Riot. Um, we have a post on our Instagram page explaining more about what they do, but we just wanted to let you guys know that that's what we'll be doing for the month of June and July. So um, without further ado, I'll get into the poem. My privilege does not come in different cuts, does not have a matching bag or an appealing bust. My privilege comes in extra skin tight size 10 color black and white. My privilege has English as its first language, with trunks of Creo, bloodline of Okumarobu rotting in my mouth, my mouth unaccustomed to forming the queer words, crippling in third place as I place my British and Italian passport right next to my Gambian one, knowing that the first two work far better for my tongue. My privilege is complaining about white privilege, bemoaning the benefits I cannot reap from my genetic linkage, is stealing the idea for this poem from a black girl, is writing about other black people's fight, because even though I'm a shade too dark, I still have my rights. My privilege is using stock names to describe injustice. Rosa Park, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, Nina Simone, my voice is nothing more than just a dictaphone. My privilege is the silver tones, the liquidation of word, bubbling saliva, frothing disgust, yet leisurely night sleeps that remain untouched, untouched by the real urgency of the thought, my life is cheap. How are you ever supposed to put that thought to sleep? My privilege suffocates me. I'm drowned in guilt-ridden waves of the lighter shades, obliged to call the haunting memories of the slave trade. I bite my lips to the comments of my distasteful preoccupation with skin. The silky rich black bleached to blotchy caramel, do you not think it would be much easier for me to turn a blind eye, to pretend that one day all of this will just pass by? But my privilege is this, extra skin tight size 10 colour black and white, is me placing my British and Italian passport right next to my Gambian one, knowing that the first two work far better for my tongue.
Thank you for sharing that, Sophia. Um, and with your beautiful words, close out. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode, and we hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye.